Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman. And I'm Eve Simmons. And we are health journalists, which means we spend our lives asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to. This week, we're asking the question, can you really eat to beat cancer? As ever, we'd like to know what you think. So if you have a question or a suggestion for us on Medical Minefield, tweet us on Twitter using the hashtag Medical Minefield. I mean, it's a good question, isn't it? Can you eat to beat cancer? Full disclosure, I think I've probably edited a fair few uh, special pullouts for the Mail on Sunday over the years and, and maybe other newspapers with just those kinds of claims, which tends to really always boil down to the fact that if you eat a healthy, balanced diet, it's about all you can do. You have a low risk of developing cancer. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, there are lots of people out there who claim far greater things. And uh, can you, you know, if you eat lots of flavonols in chocolate or mushrooms or, you know, whatever it is, or is it just wishful thinking and a ploy to sell diet books? Well, it all kind of came into the spotlight this week, didn't it? Because of a, a now taken down social media post. The happy pair. Yes, by the happy pair. This is identical twins Stephen and David Flynn who I believe they have a, a vegan cafe and they do recipe books and social media. I mean, I had a look at their website. There's lots of topless shots. They do lots of which... cold water swimming, don't they? Mm, topless. Well, I well. would imagine so. <laughs> well, <laughs> but not bottomless. <laughs> well, I don't know. You never know. There's I didn't, actually, the water, I didn't actually look that far into their internet. but Maybe we should. Maybe we should. Is that what being a vegan does? It makes you so tough. <laughs> you, just you can just take whip off, all your clothes off. Whip off all your clothes Anyway, they caused a stir this week because they claimed that um, now they claimed that if you eat excessive dairy products, that it increases your breast cancer risk, and that if you eat soya products two to three times a day, uh, and thirteen portions of fruit and veg, and uh, uh, mushrooms, lots of mushrooms, that you can reduce your breast cancer risk. And there was an outcry from doctors and other scientists on social media because no such thing is true. Mm. And this was it was for an advert for an upcoming podcast, wasn't it? So it wasn't that they were saying that they dedicated a whole spiel to this well, that I they were saying. The podcast gave the full details. It was supposed to be a preview of, of what was coming up in their podcast and it seemed to be insinuating that they were having going to have an expert on who had these views and wanted to say this. We asked the happy pair if they would come on to the podcast today to talk about it, but they didn't want to. They've since deleted their trailer and have apologised, but said nothing more than that. And uh, actually, some of their critics weren't very happy with the apology, were they? They felt that they hadn't actually acknowledged any of the criticisms about the claims that they were making. They just said they were sorry if they'd upset people. I haven't had time to do a particularly deep dive into them, but I know that they were um, hanging out with your pal Sarah Wilson not, not long ago. There was some Facebook posts with Miss I Quit Sugar, and I mean she claims all kinds of nutty things about diets, doesn't she? She does. Yes, well, I did a long interview with her a couple of years ago, and she wasn't, she wasn't very happy with me. She wasn't very happy with me. She felt it was a takedown, and that I'd been dishonest, and that I think she called me a jerk or something. A jerk. A jerk. I think. I think I a jerk. Maybe. Interesting insult, isn't it? I don't, I don't think it's very British. 
but fine, call me what you like. But what was the issue there? The issue there was that I was naturally very interested in her and I was quite transparent about my background in that I had an eating disorder when I was younger and therefore I've taken an interest in my journalism in health influencers and fitness influencers who say all sorts of things about diet that maybe kind of lead people to practice restrictive eating because people like that played a role certainly in my eating disorder and I know in other people that I know have experienced the same and I said all of that to her put it to her she was completely adamant that she never had the intention of, you know, encouraging people to restrict their diet, despite the fact that she had a number of books entitled Quit Sugar. But also claimed sugar. that she'd cured herself of all kinds of yes, illnesses so throughout our conversation, by sugar. It was very strange. She made some very disjointed claims about the fact that she'd had thyroid disease, Hashimoto's disease, which I think is a form of thyroid yeah. disease, and that she'd stopped eating sugar and stopped eating, I think, maybe dairy and lots of different ingredients and that she'd cured herself. Brilliant. Fantastic. Then after our conversation, she then started to say that actually she does eat sugar now. She eats chocolate cake, but she has quite a an erratic relationship with those junk foods, which I thought was interesting, given that she'd obviously practiced such a restrictive relationship mm. with them. And I produced a very honest piece saying what I thought about... She wasn't happy. That and she wasn't very happy, no. Sorry, Sarah. I don't think we're going to be friends. <laughs> It's fine, I've got lots of friends. <laughs> Good, I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it. But, you know, it's a great idea, isn't it? Especially when you've got something that perhaps mainstream, if you want to call it that, medical treatment isn't working on or, mm. you know, you've got an incurable illness or mm. there's something that you can't remedy just by going to the doctor and it's not getting better. To look to alternative medicine or people who claim that by eating certain things. I mean, I know with cancer, a very vulnerable group to, to these mm. kinds of things. Mm. It goes back decades and decades. There was a, something called the Gerson diet where you could only eat raw vegetables. Mm. And people would try it because when you're desperate, you try these things. Mm. And the big problem is we don't eat like that, do we? We don't eat no sugar. We don't only eat raw vegetables. And Ultimately, someone would sneak a bit of chocolate or they'd have a piece of cheese and then they blame themselves. They mm. go to their doctors. And I know this from being told by doctors. They go to their doctors and they they say how guilty they feel because they had a piece of cheese and now they're dying. When they would have been in that situation anyway, it wasn't their fault. Mm. And likewise, if you're going to say something raises the risk, like consuming excessive dairy products raises the risk. Women with breast cancer are going to think, I've got breast cancer because I've eaten dairy products. Absolutely. And anyone who has had any personal experience of cancer, be it personally or in the family, knows that it's a really shit time. You feel awful about everything to do with the situation and it's so uncontrollable. There's nothing you can do mm. about the worst thing happening. And what makes you feel even worse is knowing that Actually, there's an idea that you've done something that might have caused that to happen yeah. or could have made it all go away and you didn't. And I think inflicting that on anyone in that situation is just the worst kind of wrong. Before we go any further, let's talk to one of the very vocal critics of the Happy Pairs post our good friend, surgeon Liz O'Riordan, a breast surgeon who has had breast cancer herself twice. 
Liz, thanks for finding time to talk to us. I'm so glad we've got you on the podcast, finally. You know, you've, you've got your own podcast as well, haven't you? Yes, I do. Um, don't ignore the elephant, which I'm busy planning season two at the moment. Ah, brilliant, brilliant. Well, I can't wait for that. And we wanted to talk to you this week because you've been embroiled in a bit of controversy. The happy pair, David and Stephen Flynn, um, posted uh, a trailer for their podcast on online, which made all kinds of claims about diet and, and breast cancer. And you posted a rebuttal and it basically said what, what they'd got right and what they'd got wrong in that. And I, I watched that. I thought that was brilliant. But just tell me, broadly speaking, why did you feel compelled to respond to this clip? Because, I mean, there's so much of this stuff around, isn't there? There is. And I've, I normally try to stay away because it's so hard to get the voice of reason across. It's a bit like politics. People have divided opinions. But this time I had so many messages from breast cancer patients on Twitter and Instagram saying, have you seen this? We're really angry. We're really cross. Is it our fault we had cancer? And I thought, this isn't on. What have they done? Because I hadn't heard of them before. And I went and watched the video and thought, blimey, some of this is good, but some of this is dangerous. And I had to do something about it. And I messaged them asking them what they thought before I put anything out there. And they never got back to me. Oh, really? Mm. Just complete stonewall silence. I get, but who knows how many messages they get. You've seen how many followers they have. And I never like to call people out without telling them. And again, I did my fact checking because I've never heard theory about mushrooms and soy. But I just think it's really dangerous when you start calling out medical myths and realizing the impact you can have on the cancer community. The blame and shame can just break so many people. If you had them in front of you, what would you say to them? I think I'd say, look, to be fair to them, most of the information in that reel was right. We do know that being overweight and not exercising mm. can increase the risk of breast cancer. And they were reporting claims that a guest had made on their podcast. But the minute you put something out there from you to your huge following, you have a duty of care, I think, to make sure it's correct. Mm. And you've got the time, the money, the resources to double check these things. Because if something stands too good to be true, you've got to think, really, is this right? I've never heard it before. And I think they took down the video and that really annoyed me. They apologized for upsetting people, but they didn't say it's right. We were right. Mushrooms do reduce the risk. We're sorry about the way we said it. They took it down. So they obviously don't stand by the facts they put up there. And, you know, I mean, obviously there's no evidence that you know of that the eating lots of mushrooms will reduce the risk of cancer. no. There are a couple of studies that have been done mainly in Asian populations and you can't compare different populations in different countries. They're not accurate. There is bias in them. There may be some truth in the future, but there is no robust evidence at the moment. There is no one food that can stop you getting cancer or stop your cancer coming back. I was just going to ask if you were concerned, because obviously these claims were coming from what I understand, a consultant gynaecologist. Yes. I'm not sure if said gynaecologist practices within the NHS. I assume they did at some point. And they're making quite a senior doctor making claims like this, presumably who deals with patients who have perhaps gynaecological cancers. That That's quite worrying. It is. And again, most doctors aren't nutritionists and you believe what you believe. I think she is herself a vegan, plant-based, promoting diet doctor mainly dealing in gynecology and again when she's starting to give advice on breast cancer risk there are some big huge studies like the china study that many people believe to use as a basis for cutting out dairy and cutting out meat products but they're all they're massive problems with the data they're not correct but people will believe them because it's easy and again patients they don't know who to trust they don't know who to believe if it's a doctor saying it, it must be true 
but we're not all right. Just having the name doctor in front of our name doesn't mean that we speak truth all the while, which makes it really hard for patients and the general public. What is the link between, because I mean, it wouldn't be true to say that there is no correlation between what we eat and cancer, breast cancer in, in particular, but what are the relationships between food and breast cancer? So about 70% of your breast cancer risk is just down to bad luck getting older being a woman. You can modify about 30% of your risk. And we know that being overweight and not exercising and drinking alcohol will all greatly increase your risk. So maybe a small element to do with eating a lot of processed red meat, possibly saturated fat. But apart from that, everything else is fine. And most women with breast cancer will die of heart disease and stroke. So again, a healthy diet and exercising can delay that happening as well. Mm. Well, there you go. There's not one food people eat that you say that causes the breast cancer. And it's the naming and the shaming. Hundreds of thousands of women now thinking it's my fault. Do I need to stop feeding my two-year-old mushrooms so she doesn't get breast cancer? And it's this, it just takes on another world of its own. I think I'd say just three points to help people work out if claims are true. Does it seem too good to be true? If it's really that simple, why isn't the NHS giving out mushrooms to people? Are the people telling you the claims selling products to back up the claims? Are they selling you a book or a course or a lifestyle? And has it been verified by somebody else, somebody independent? Because if it's just one person saying it, you've got to start to wonder. Well, I think everyone should appreciate you speaking sense as ever on this subject. And thanks again for finding some time to talk to us. Thanks, Barney. Thanks, Eve. Bye. And it's with so much information out there about diet and cancer online, on social media, how do we know what to believe and what not to? So I feel like you have brilliant, sensible, medically sound people like Liz who say these things till they're blue in the face every once in a while. And then you get the whole load of claims that just come up again a few months later. And it's strange because these things don't seem to change. They're, they're the same year in, year out. So these kinds of things, they just circulate and persist. Mm. And I think social media certainly has accelerated the kind of circulation, I suppose, of many of these, these cancers. Well, it's given them an aesthetic in a way, hasn't it? a face and you know a, topless a, a, topless shots <laughs> yeah or you know a bowl full of beautifully crafted leaves and beans and that kind of thing yes i mean it's attractive as well isn't it this healthy lifestyle that will protect you or prevent cancer or you know somehow treat it i think people have developed for whatever reason a sort of rejection of western medicine and think that there's something else out there that is mm. being ignored and that you know that needs to be looked at and in some kind of pockets of of that rhetoric there is truth to it mm. and we see that oh 100% i am not against alternative therapies personally before anyone says that you know uh, we always talk about this and you roll your eyes because i'm a big believer in acupuncture yes and i think acupuncture cured my hay fever Cured. 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 Disappeared. Vanished. It vanished. It was like turning off a tap. Magic. Before we go on, let's get our next guest. So joining us now is Bobby Qureshi, who is a naturopath and head of education at the College of Naturopathic Medicine. Bobby, do you think that eating certain foods can help to prevent cancer? I do. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, the research now has been very clear on the fact that diet plays a major role with cancer and reducing our risk of cancer, but also some foods increasing our risk of cancer. What's quite evident from this is that when we eat foods that are rich in plant nutrients like vitamins and minerals and what we call phytonutrients, these are all have various sorts of beneficial cancer protective properties. And it's not a huge surprise really that the higher risks of cancer come with foods like 
sugars and processed meats and red meats. So I, I do think there's a, there's a very clear link between the two. And there are certainly many foods that we can eat that, that provide us with many protective benefits. And certainly, you know, in terms of my teaching at CNM and in my own clinic, this is what I, I really focus on. So do you think that people who have cancer therefore most of them or certainly a significant number of them would have had a diet that was poor? Yeah I do I mean what what we know is that most cancers are related to lifestyle so I think it's important to look at this as a whole obviously diet. That's sorry I have to jump in there I have to jump in there sorry sorry we're a science podcast and most cancers are, are not related primarily to lifestyle but do continue. Okay I, I, I mean, certainly my background is also in science. And I must say that from the training that I've done and from the research that I've done, I, I would disagree with you. Um, of course, I'm happy to talk about this further. I think you um, should just look at the cancer research. They've got a really, really good resource that shows exactly how much of certain cancers are related to lifestyle. And it's a, it's a really good resource. But, but we're just on this podcast. We're not going to make that claim because it's not true. Yeah. OK, well, I mean, Certainly from the research that I've done around nutrition and, and food and, and certain nutrients and the role that they play in cancer, you know, we've got the World Cancer Research Fund, for example, talking about how a diet rich in fruits and vegetables and plant foods, in essence, significantly reduce the risk. Can I just jump in there? Because I've got um, in front of me a, a very large, high quality study that was published in the British Medical Journal in 2020 that concludes the risk of all cancer sites combined might be slightly lower in vegetarians and vegans than in non-vegetarians, but findings for individual cancers are inconclusive. And that was a big section about whether fruit and vegetables are important determinants of cancer risk. Yeah, sure. So what do you say so, to I that? Mean, yeah, no, just to firstly say, I'm not purely saying that being a vegetarian or a vegan is going to stop you from getting cancer. So I firstly want to emphasise that that's not the point. And I'm not trying to make bold claims at all that that's the case. What I'm trying to emphasize is that from certainly the research that I've done, you know, I was looking at a, a BMJ paper from three or four years ago that even they're talking about how a you know, diet rich in vegetables, fruits, whole grains, reducing the risk of cancer. And that's drawing upon multiple studies. This is exactly the same. It's a meta-analysis. also draws on, on all the available literature and says fruit and vegetables are not clearly linked to cancer risk. I've certainly not read the paper that you're referring to, but from all the research that I've done, that's something that I have not seen. I'm always open to looking at other sides of the, of the picture. I'm certainly not fixed in my views and, you know, I always try to critically evaluate what's out there. So I'd be interested in seeing what you've got there. And what I'm certainly not saying is that diet single-handedly equals cancer, but obviously cancer is a disease where genetics have been altered, where mutations have occurred, where self-signaling changes. And that can occur through various means, for example, high levels of free radicals damaging DNA, just as one example. And, and, you know, what we know is, of course, that our diet is protective against free radicals. A diet rich in antioxidants, for example, is going to be doing that. Again, I'm not saying that just by eating, you know, a variety of colour in our diet, that's not single-handedly going to stop us from getting cancer. But certainly from an environment perspective, what we're trying to do is bathe our genes in the, the healthiest environment we possibly can. And by adding in as many nutrients as possible, that's going to provide us with as much as we can possibly do. I think the key thing here is that we're looking at, at diseases that have been increasing in prevalence. And, you know, when you look at the, the epidemiology aspect of cancer, especially, we're looking at rates being so high in westernized countries. And of course, 
diet isn't the only factor in that, but diet is a major factor in what, what we consider to be a Western population and what differentiates, you know, Western populations mm. from from others. So I, I think it's, yeah. we'd be probably a little bit naive to think that, that nutrition and diet don't play a role. No, absolutely. I totally agree. And, and as a naturopath, do you have patients or clients? How, do, how does it work? Do people come to you for diet advice? And, you know, do, do cancer patients come to you for diet advice? Sometimes. I mean, I've, I've definitely got an interest in cancer. I, I, just to explain, I, I started off as an osteopath, first of all, before entering the field of naturopathy. And I started to actually volunteer in a hospice. And I was sort of supporting patients there with, with terminal cancer diagnoses, very much just mm. trying to manage symptoms mm. and do what I could there. But when I started in naturopathy, I did get some patients that had a diagnosis of cancer. What's important to say is that naturopaths do not treat cancer in any form at all. We certainly do not claim to either. What we would try and do with a cancer patient is really try and support their journey as best as possible. For example, if they're undergoing chemotherapy, we would draw upon you know, the latest evidence to, to show what might be beneficial in terms of reducing some of the side effects and perhaps improving efficacy whenever I do work with cancer patients, I always draw in the oncologist on this. So it's very much a team effort. It's not me trying to do anything miraculous mm. at all, but I'm trying to work really on the basics. I always think about it from the perspective of, of the environment and how can we improve that environment that's bathing those genes. I always think it's important when we look at cancer, this is something that obviously didn't just happen overnight. You know, somebody doesn't just mm. develop a breast lump. You do know, you advise people to cut out foods or do you advise people to, to go on special diets? Do you advise people to cut out sugar, cut out dairy? Yeah, so yeah, there are there are certain things that come into play here. So sugar certainly one that I would look at, and I would try and, and focus on getting kind of fiber rich foods rather than foods rich in in refined sugars. So trying to focus more around kind of you know vegetables and fruits, for example, rather than and, and primarily vegetables, I should say, rather than focusing on you know chocolate and cakes and sweets. So trying to basically get in as many antioxidants and nutrients as possible to try and, you know, support their body. Dairy is an interesting one. I think dairy's got some sort of mixed information out there available. There are some suggestions that dairy might be pro-inflammatory in some people. I wouldn't say that I always recommend cutting out dairy. I don't think it's as straightforward as that. But I kind of look and, and see what the person also might be responding negatively to and what sort of foods they seem to be flourishing on. But certainly sugar is a big one. I think sugar... So, so you tell people to cut out sugar? I don't necessarily say to cut out sugar, but I try and get them focusing on whole foods rather than mm. kind of processed foods, junk foods, basically. Bobby, every cancer specialist that I've ever spoken to who writes and talks about diet always says that especially when patients are going through treatment, in fact, the best diet is one that is full of, of everything and actually quite high in calories. And that's the most important thing because a lot of cancer patients, you know, end up losing weight and need to sustain Struggle their to energy. To, yeah, and yeah, not to mention no. losing their appetite. Definitely, definitely. And, and so it, this is this So is if the all sat, someone can stomach as kind of donuts, then that's the, the best thing. Yeah, I mean, what we try and do is get as many nutrient nutrients into their body as possible. And obviously, calories is a unit of, of energy. So in, encompassed in that, we're looking at what foods can we eat that bring in the most calories, but also, you know, the most nutrients. So we might be looking at, you know, really, really nutritious, high calorie smoothies, for example, so that you're packing in not only lots of calories, which obviously is going to fuel energy, which you're absolutely right, is crucial, but also isn't going to have potentially 
you know, we don't know for sure, but potentially other effects that we that might be sort of undesirable. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it is obviously about calories and packing in lots and lots of calories for them. But obviously, if you can pick between, from my perspective anyway, if you can pick between a Krispy Kreme donut or a smoothie that's got a variety of plant nutrients in there that kind of offers both, then that, that would be the preference. Would you ever eat a Krispy Kreme donut yourself? <laughs> I have done in the past, but that was before I trained in naturopathy. Uh, I certainly wouldn't judge anybody oh. for eating a Krispy Kreme donut. But personally, <laughs> no. I mean, you know, I, I really I've gone off them myself. myself and... I've gone off them. I've had too many. Have you? Yeah. <laughs> To be honest, I was there. You have to do I, one I remember, a year or something. I remember eating far too many in my university days, but then I came out of university probably in my most unhealthy self. So <laughs> it's no, probably it led me on to what I then studied. Well, look, it's been fascinating talking to you and I could talk to you for, for ages, but we don't have endless time, um, unfortunately. But thank you so much for finding some time for us today. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Well, listening to that was the Daily Mail's group business editor, Ruth Sutherland. Thanks for popping in. I wanted to get you in to, to have a chat about food and cancer because it's something that we've talked about in the mm. office. You've had some personal experience of cancer in your family that you've written about. So. Absolutely. Thank you very much for inviting me onto your programme. Something that I feel really passionately about having had the personal experience with my husband, Michael. He had HPV throat cancer, I guess technically still probably officially does have, although not according to us. We like to take a more optimistic view of things. He's coming up to his five years. So oh, if great. he's fantastic. all clear, that will be um, that will be fantastic. But your conversation with your previous caller really resonated with me in, in several ways, actually. I think a lot of claims are made from various sources about, you know, if you eat the right way, you'll have less chance of getting cancer, which... I feel slightly uncomfortable about anything that even has a hint of victim blame to it, mm. which I think slightly yeah, can have. Judgment, yeah. Slightly mm. judgmental, you know, don't eat junk food and, you, mm. and nothing. Well, that's just unfortunately not true. But I think a very underestimated thing to say is that I feel strongly that food is you know, whether it's preventive or not, it's certainly a big part of health and more importantly, well-being and enjoyment of life. And it's one of those things that is taken away to a, a high degree when you have cancer, when you're going through that treatment and you may be on chemo or radiotherapy and you're feeling so ill, you're losing weight at a frightening rate and lots of aspects of your life are out of control really at that point or, or feel out of control. In Michael, my husband's case, he had... Um, Again, when you speak about judgment, I always rush to say he didn't smoke because, um, <laughs> again, that's an assumption mm. and he didn't smoke at all. And he went through a very, very difficult period where he couldn't eat by mouth at all and had to take nutrition. Because they, they really blast you with radiotherapy, don't they? They blast you with radiotherapy and most people spend a period where they have to take nutrition through a feeding tube, mm. which is tremendously traumatic for everybody concerned it's really not nice and very intrusive in your life because you're hooked up to a tube 24 7 basically and and the feeding process takes a very long time and you feel quite stripped of dignity and it makes you very conscious of how important not just 
the taste of food and the nutritional aspect, but the the social aspect and all sharing. the love, you know, mm. the sharing and the love that goes into a shared meal around and the, the family table and, and the conversations. And it's a huge part of things. And, and this is what I really think is, is underestimated. Now, feeding through a tube is a process which strips you of a lot of that and also of a lot of dignity. And some of the terminology used, so the liquid nutrition is referred to as feed, mm -hmm. as if people were animals, which I found very offensive. I did actually speak to some of the providers, Nutritia, and they changed all of the wording on their leaflets mm -hmm. to avoid that word, which I thought was just wow. brilliant. And I felt, you know, well, that's one good thing that we've got out of a, a horrific experience. And, you know, it may seem like a little thing, but when you've had lots of other aspects of your dignity taken away, being referred to as if you were eating like a, an animal is not nice. Mm -hmm. So it was all credit to Nutritia for, for responding to that. And then the next part of the journey that I think was food played a huge part is when you're recovering now, obviously this was particularly intense when it is a throat cancer, but it could be other forms of cancer too. There's a period when you can't, for whatever reason, physically take in normal food or perhaps you just can't face the thought of it. And I really found when Barney mentioned the book... I felt I had to work so hard to try to find food, to, to invent recipes for Michael that were soft enough for him to take in through his very sore throat. And I think one of the very difficult phases was in recovery when Michael came off the tube but still couldn't eat normal food. And the challenge then was to prepare dishes that were soft enough for him to be able to consume, given that his mouth and throat were still covered in ulcers and still been badly burned by the radiotherapy. And really, the NHS is brilliant in so many ways, but on the nutritional front, they've probably got other priorities. And the suggestions were really quite limited. It was mm. add cream to everything. Mm. I did laugh at one point, they suggested tin peaches and carnation milk, to which I replied, you know, the war is over. <laughs> Who eats that nowadays? I'd actually checked, you can get carnation You can, milk. yes, <laughs> you, you can still get it. But, you know, I don't think I've I don't think anyone's eaten it since no. they went round to their grands in 1980, have yeah. they? But um, when you've been through a trauma and a treatment like that and it's painful to eat, you really want to be tempted back into it because otherwise the danger is you just don't want to eat. And I felt it was a real challenge to keep coming up with recipes that would provide variety that might tempt him into eating and also that in the longer term would mean that eating would be a pleasure again. Was there anything that became a kind of go-to recipe that you were able to really enjoy together? Yes. Yeah, so my rule was I am not serving him anything that I won't eat myself. So I, I saw a lot of leaflets with things that looked like slop that you'd been served in, in HMP Wandsworth <laughs> or something. And I thought, you know, I'm not serving that to the man I love. Mm. So we had a couple of things that became favourites. I did a, a pretty calorific fish pie. So you can imagine 
I was building him up. I have to I had to try and balance that with keeping my own weight down because I could easily have ballooned. And I made a, a killer smoked salmon and dill mousse. Mm. Um, savoury mousses were quite a big thing. Your previous caller mentioned smoothies. Now, they were great. I mean, if anyone's listening to this, if you can afford to buy a Nutribullet, it became my best friend. Also, I think bear in mind, a lot of people would have been on these nutritional supplements which are really not nice. I think every carer and every NHS nutritionist ought to be made to live for a week on them, which is what we ask um, cancer patients to do. They are not very nice. They're a great solution for a short period of time. But I was very keen to minimise the usage of those and come up with alternatives that were nicer and just just tasted better. I'd say my take home from, from today is that what you eat in general, doesn't give you cancer and it's not going to cure it. But certainly eating is a big part of making us feel normal again. It's something that I think you can, as a carer and as a patient, when you often feel very impotent and you're in a very strange and frightening and unfamiliar world, that it's something you can feel a positive sense of Mm. engagement and control. G- given all these vulnerabilities that you you very well describe, I, I do worry about people being told to embark on restrictive diets mm. at that time, being told, you know, if you want to get better from cancer, you've got to cut out this, you've got to stop eating that, you can only eat raw food, don't eat dairy, don't touch this and that. I mean, you know, what if all you could face was a donut? Mm. Joy is the biggest enemy of cancer mm. and death, isn't mm. it? You know, sorry to introduce it, but if, if you're living a terribly joyless life where you're restricted and denied and it's about negativity, that's just not good. That's not how I would feel it was right to deal with the man that I love. The last thing I'd want to do would be to say, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that, you shouldn't be doing it. If all you can eat is, as you say, a donut. Mm then eat that donut. I mean, maybe not eat 10 of them if you can help it. But, um, you know, what, what, what's the point if you're Absolutely. denying the joys of life? That's a, an even better message. Eat a donut, but maybe not 10. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, look, Ruth, thanks so much for finding time to talk to us. Thanks, Ruth. Thank you. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. That's all we've got time for. You can find all the latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday. And follow us on Twitter. You can follow me. I'm at Barney Kalman. And I'm at Eve Simmons without the O. Do you want to spell that? <laughs> at E-V-E-S-I-M-M-N-S. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Mindful next week. See you then. Bye.